Hello and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. Today, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Lawrence Kuiper, who will be talking about his ICDE paper, These Rows Are Made for Sorting, and that's just what we'll do. Um, Lawrence is a PhD student at CWI in the Netherlands, and he also works at DuckDB. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks for the intro, Jack. Uh, happy to be here. Fantastic. The pleasure's all ours. So let's let's jump straight in then. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in data management research. Right. So um, I'm 27 year old, years old, living in Amsterdam, um, and as you said, working at uh, CWI and DuckDB. And um, I did my uh, bachelor's and master's in computer science in Nijmegen, where they don't really do much data management. So we do some some modeling, some SQL, but we don't really know how the database actually works. And um, uh, luckily, I had a professor there, uh, Arjen de Vries, um, who worked at CWI for 15 years. So he knows uh, he knows Hannes, he knows uh, Peter from CWI. And um, he, he really likes data, data management. Um, and uh, I got to know him through a, a course on Spark and um, started talking with him and uh, eventually did my master thesis with him um, and got interested in... in, in data management that way, uh, which is a miracle because there's no no data management in the masters there. I did I did a bunch of machine learning in my master and got really bored of that. So uh, I'm really happy I, I got to meet him and I'm really happy I ended up in the data management area. Fantastic. And now you work for the coolest startup, data startup in the world as well. So that's uh, <laughs> that must be fun, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really happy to work for DuckDB Labs as well. So uh, we've uh, been a startup for a bit uh, over a year and a half now and um, yeah we're a small team uh, about 15 here in Amsterdam we have some remote people and it is really fun to work uh, for yeah for such a young young company but we, we're getting a lot of uh, traction on GitHub and on Twitter and uh, in the data science uh, space so uh, it is very fun to work here. Awesome stuff well uh, let's talk about sorting then today what, what the focus of your paper at ICD ICDE was um, so. Maybe you can maybe give us some background. I mean, sorting. I mean, it's kind of a classical topic in computer science, right? But maybe you can give us some background about the context of sorting in relational database management systems, and just kind of generally give us the sales pitch, sales pitch for your for your recent paper. Yeah, of course. So sorting uh, kind of seems like a solved problem, right? Uh, at least if you uh, if you search for sorting algorithm on Google Scholar, you, you'll get about two million hits. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a very well researched topic, and everyone, of course, learns about it. Uh, the n log n sorting algorithms in, in their computer science degree, but um, the, this sorting algorithm research tends to focus on uh, a few use cases that uh, don't really translate one to one to da- database sort uh, or sorting relational data. Uh, so they tend to focus on large materialized arrays of let's say integers that are just sitting there in memory. And then they just try to sort them as, as fast as they can. Or there's uh, an, another field within sorting where they have these large distributed sorts where they sort petabytes of data. Um, this is a bit closer to the data management or like the re- relational data sorting. But for relational data, you sort all multiple keys often. So you can sort, you can order by all of the columns uh, ascending, descending, and um, you also select other columns. So it's very often the case that you select 10 columns are ordered by just one. So there's a big difference between that and uh, 
sorting algorithm research. And that's why um, I chose to research this. Uh, also, we needed a good sort implementation for DuckDB, right? So that's a good motivator as well. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, you kind of touched on it a little bit there about the challenges of, of implementing sorting in in relational um, DBMSs, but like, how hard is it to take the existing sort of like the the, the huge amount of like li- existing literature on sorting and then applying that to and implementing that in a relational database? What are the kind of challenges there? So, um, if you just want to get it to sort, then there's no there's not a lot of challenge. So you you can materialize your data and call sort. And um, well, we we implement that to be in C So the sort API is just you you, you give it the start of the sequence to be sorted and the end and the comparison function. Um, the thing is, you can apply any sort, sorting algorithm, but it probably won't be fast. So th- that, that was the real uh, research in my papers. You, you, can, you can get PDQ sort or uh, whatever, like state-of-the-art sorting algorithm, but the API tends not to be good enough because you pass it this comparison function. And um, if you're if if you ship a compiler with your database like Hyper and Umbra, they use a compiled execution engine. Then, then this is great because you can compile in the data types and you can compile in the uh, comparison function. But for interpreted execution engines like DuckDB, we don't ship a compiler and we cannot com- we, we cannot compile in the comparison function. And then you get dynamic function calls in your comparison function. And for vectorized engines, you usually amortize the overhead of these dynamic function calls by calling them once per vector. And then it's really not so much uh, of a big deal. But this comparison function, you you do it n log n times. And uh, then the dynamic function call overhead tends to uh, become a huge cost. And uh, that's why you can't just call std sort or pdq sort um, in your interpreted uh, database system, in interpreted execution engine. Cool. So before you before we continue, could you maybe explain the difference between a compiled query engine and an interpreted query engine? Right. So um, this started around the let's say the two thousands when, um, of course, we, database database systems are a, a, an old topic, right? Um, and we have the classical OLTP style database systems, uh, which have generally an interpreted execution engine. So that means they these systems really pull one thro- one row through the through the query plan at a time. So um, let's say you, you you have a table scan and then a filter, um, and then uh, that, that's your query. Then they pull one one row from this from the the base table through the filter and then to the query result. And th- this tends to th- then you get a dynamic function call for the f- function uh, for the filter evaluation for every row that you pull through the query plan and. Um, Around the 2000s uh, at CWI, um, Peter and Marcin invented vectorized execution where you pull one vector through at a time. So let's say the vector could be 1,000 or 2,000 uh, rows at a time. And then the, the data would be in a columnar format instead of a row format. And uh, this really, really speeds up. This is the, the dynamic function call overhead is one of the reasons that this really sped up query processing because you're doing less dynamic function calls. There's also SIMD and cache locality. I won't get into that too much. And they have compiled execution engines. And the compiled execution engines also deal with the same problem by just in time compiling the query plan. And then by compiling in stuff like comparison functions and data types that 
perfectly fit the query types, uh, the, the types that are expected in the query, you also get no uh, interpretation or uh, dynamic function call overhead for these uh, for these tuples thro- uh, flowing through the plan. So you said there that that kind of things are, things are not fast if we just if if we if we're an interpreted execution and we just kind of we use the kind of off the shelf PDQ and stuff like that APIs. So you did in a micro benchmark where you wanted to kind of compare the differences between. I don't know, having a row versus a column data format and then sorting in these two different types of, of query engines to see kind of guess what came out best, what was the best way of doing this. So can you maybe walk us through the design of this experiment and how you set it up? Right, so I tried to um, make it as simple as I could and make it uh, like isolate the, the raw sorting performance uh, there just to see the characteristics of columns and rows. And uh, yeah, what I did is I generated a few different data distributions, so a random distribution and some cor- correlated distributions. Um, and I fully like generated fully materialized columns of data or rows of data. And the rows would have uh, all the data tightly packed together. And I would, I would interpret it as a C++ struct. So this was actually a compiled approach because in the micro benchmark, I don't have to interpret types because it's just my micro benchmark. There's no actual yeah. queries. So I could just compile in the, the types and then see uh, the performance of sorting just rows or just columns. And then we basically isolate the um, memory access pattern of sorting rows and, and sorting columnar data and also the, the branch predictions of the comparison function of, of these approaches. Uh, so so that, that was the setup. And then I sorted it. Um, so what, one of the points I tried to make in the paper is that it doesn't matter what sorting algorithm you use because we're trying to see what the rows and columns do, right? The, the, mm. the, the sorting algorithm doesn't matter as much. Uh, so I just went with STD sort. Uh, but I did cross-validate with SCD stable sort um, because these are quite different. So SCD sort is a introspective sorting algorithm. It's mostly quick sort and uh, stable sort is a merge sort algorithm. So these are quite different cache uh, or like memory access patterns. Okay, cool. So let's talk some results then. So there's two different ways you use of actually comparing, um, comparing kind of uh, tuples, right? And then you kind of, in your paper, you talk about them for how it was for sorting columnar data and for row data. So let's, let's start off with the, the, the two approaches, then we can talk about columnar data, right? I looked at two, two approaches to sort. Um, at, like Generally, you would think there's only one approach to sort because you're comparing rows when you're sorting. And uh, there's only one way to compare a row, which is just to compare the, first, the, the, the data in the first column. And if they're equal, then you have to compare them in the second column. And you keep comparing the values in the rows until you have a, a value that's not equal or until you've compared all values in the row. And um, I call this the tuple at a time approach, but there's also uh, for uh, which which some database systems implement this columnar uh, data format while sorting. And these tend to go for the subsorting approach, which I call the subsorting approach. And uh, there they sort the data by the first column. So let's say you have multiple columns in your order by clause. They sort all the data by the first column. Then they identify which rows are tied, so which have the the same value in this first column, and then have like this small sort on the second column for for just these rows. So what were kind of results then for for sorting columnar column data? Then so how did how did it how did it fare? So the subsorting approach is uh, quite clearly better for uh, sorting columnar data. There's some um, 
maybe so for the merge sort, the the, the tuple at a time and the subsort approach were quite similar. But um, in general, the subsorting approach is better because you simplify the comparison function because you're only sorting by one column at a time. So your column is just this value is less than that value instead of looping over the 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 columns in the order by clause. And um, secondly, it's also more, uh, the, the memory access pattern is better because you're only accessing this one memory region at a time, which is this one column, and then you move on to the next column. So if you, if you would do this tuple at a time approach for uh, columnar data, you compare by the first value, uh, by the value in the first column, and if they're equal, you have to compare by the value in the second column, and that's random access into okay. like a different memory region, which slows down the sort. So the subsorting is pro- approach uh, was better here. Okay, I'm guessing this flipped around for the for the row data. So for the row data, interestingly, um, it didn't it didn't flip around. So the subsorting okay. approach, uh, you you end up doing less comparisons in total. Okay. Uh, because often you don't need to loop. Th- loop through the whole whole row to get the, the full comparison. And somehow you end up doing uh, slightly less comparisons. And the memory access pattern, um, so, yeah, there were slightly more cache misses for this subsort approach because for the row data, the, the, the data is co-located in memory already. And the, the, cache ac- the memory access pattern is, is excellent already. Uh, but somehow it was slightly faster still, this subsorting approach. Oh, that's fascinating. So... Obviously, this is this micro benchmark that focused primarily on whether how he was laying how he was laying out data. So, how did the how did the type of query execution then sort of impact sorting? So, this wasn't included in the micro benchmark, right? This was like kind of more of a discussion section in your paper. So, maybe can you elaborate on on the impact of the execution engine? Yeah, so the execution engine mostly impacts um, how you should compare tuples. So you should compare your rows. So it's quite clear from the micro benchmark that you should use rows regardless of your execution engine. Um, but how you should compare tuples? So for for the compiled query engines, it's it's simple. You compile in the comparison function, and that's about it. Then you have an efficient comparison function. But for the interpreted execution engines, uh, you get dynamic function calls, and this greatly slows down the comparison. So. What I ended up doing is something that uh, was invented for System R already. So it's uh, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> quite an old approach, but yeah. uh, somehow, uh, yeah, of course, there hasn't been much research on, on sorting relational data, but somehow this approach got lost. Um, right. And uh, it's, it's to normalize the, the values, normalize them so they are sortable as if they are strings. So for integers that, so generally computers use big endian architecture. So the most significant digits are on the end. But if you sort a string, the most significant digits are in the front. So what you end up doing is swapping all the bytes. And then um, if it's a signed integer, you end up flipping, um, I I think you end up flipping the bit. Yeah, you end up flipping the first, the the signed bit so that the negative integers come last. Uh, For strings, of course, they're already... Uh, good. And uh, as it turns out, you can do this uh, key normalization, um, this, this string comparison for floating point uh, numbers as well. You can also encode them so they are comparable as a string. Fascinating. So, I mean, yeah, it's mad that like, the system arm, they did so many things with system arm now. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Right? It's like, I'm sure pretty much they did everything you could possibly ever want to do with the database and system arm way back then. And I, yeah, it's crazy. Sure. Sorry, where was I with my, with my question? So, yeah. So, Maybe this isn't a valid question, but he said that rows is always the best. 
But is this sort of like kind of is having rows with a compiled engine better than having rows with a interpreted engine, for example? Or is it does it kind of like what the interaction effects of these two dimensions is? Because I guess what I'm asking. No, I think it's I think it's a good question. So for um, interpreted, so the the so I can give you one answer straight away, and that is as as the input size grows, if you have a large input, if you're sorting more data, mm-hmm. then um, then it's a no-brainer. You always use rows, and there's no real discussion there. Um, for the interpreted execution engine, um, sorting by one column at a time, I think would uh, yield more benefit. So using this sub-sorting approach would use more benefit because you don't get this interpretation uh, or, or function call overhead for a so and and for the compiled execution engines they get a lot more freedom because they don't have to deal with a lot of this interpretation overhead while sorting because they can just compile in the the comparison function of the data types so for yeah for the compiled execution engine just go with rows always mm. go with rows okay. and uh, compile your comparison function and enjoy your fast sort <laughs> uh, for for the interpreted execution engine. I'd say also go with rows because you know you you don't know how how large the input is if you're if you have a streaming engine right so there's data coming in you have to materialize it to sort so just go with rows anyway um, and then it's up to you do you want to compare rows at a time well if you want to compare like whole rows at a time you might want to choose for this key normalization approach that I just discussed where you uh, compare the the rows as if they are strings and um, or you would use the subsort approach where you compare by one column at a time and then don't have this interpretation overhead uh, for every for every comparison. Yeah, what's the sort of the the overhead in terms of like it's laid out on disk in, in columnar format and then materialize into rows for when you want to do your sorting. What's the sort of overhead there? How costly is that doing that transformation to then convert it back to columns at the end? Yeah, so that's a good question. So that's uh, of course, there's a cost, but this cost is actually is actually quite uh, low. So, okay, if you if you have a streaming engine, you have this uh, what we call data chunks coming in. So there's vectors of data coming in, mm-hmm. and um, these are like the in-flight representation of data. And you can't just say, "Oh, here's my data chunk. I'll store it somewhere." Um, you have to copy the data over to uh, buffers. To you, you have to actually materialize the the in-flight data coming in. So, if you have to materialize anyway, then you have an option. You could go to columns or you could go to rows. So you're copying the data either way. I'd say go to rows because it pays off. Yeah. Um, and the the cost here is not that high because instead of copying one row at a time, you copy one vector at a time. So let's say you have two thousand rows. You copy the first column. So that's the first. Uh, vector, copy it into the row, and then the second, and then the third, and uh, what you end up doing is a very much a uh, so the data is in L1 cache all the time, yeah. and uh, there's just purely sequential access, so it ends up not being uh, restrictive at all. Nice, awesome. Because I remember when I first sort of was reading through the paper, and in the, in the introduction, you have that sort of example of kind of going. It's even better if you go from columns to rows and back again. I was like. Really? But no, when you kind of like dig into it, it kind of, it makes sense. Yeah. But it kind of initially was sort of counterintuitive to me, but no, that's, that's really interesting. So, I mean, the, the kind of the next step in your paper was sort of tying together all of these existing techniques that already existed in the literature. And then in the context of a, an interpreted query engine, I guess, because this is going to be implemented in, or was implemented in, in DuckDB. Um, 
yeah, you have a nice section where you kind of you tie these all together. So can you maybe tell us about some more about these these techniques and how you managed to tie them all together and walk, walk us through what you found here? Yeah, so um, I end up implementing this in DuckDB. So the first step is oh, we use, uh, so the, the sort is fully parallel. This is important for uh, any database system now. If, if any part of your system is not parallel, it doesn't keep up with the rest of the system. So you need to parallelize every step. So uh, we use morsel-driven parallelism for this, which is a paper from 2015 where um, the parallelism uh, comes from chunking the inputs. So let's say you have a table scan and it's 10 million, uh, 10 million rows. You partition it into inputs of around 100K rows. And then each thread uh, start scans 100K rows. And when they're done and there's still 100K rows left that haven't been scanned, then they get that. Um, so that's kind of a data-driven parallelism. Okay. Uh, a lot of systems before used to use some different kind of parallelism, um, based on some some hashes or whatever and uh, is with the exchange operator. But this doesn't scale well. We have now parallelism and we're operators and we have the morsel-driven parallelism. Okay. So let's say every thread is scanning data. Every thread gets data into the sort operator. And then each thread materializes that data into the row format. And then when there's no more data left, we're done um, getting uh, converting all the data to row format. Each thread sorts the data that they collected. So this should, given the morsel-driven parallelism, each thread should collect roughly the same amount of rows, give or take 100,000, but it's not, not so big of a deal. Then uh, let's say we have four threads, then we have four sorted runs. And so the, this, sort, this initial sorting step happens uh, in DuckDB with either radix sort if there's integers or pdq sort if there's strings. And uh, as I said, you can't just use the PDQ sort API as is. So um, luckily it's open source. So I was easily able to modify it so that it was efficient for our, uh, for our data layout. And um, then let's say we have four threads and we have four sorted runs. Then we start a merge sort. Merge sort can be tricky to parallelize. There's two kinds of merge sorts. You can have a, a two-way cascaded merge sort where you keep merging two runs um, and two runs and two runs until you have only one run left. Or you have this uh, K-way merge sort where you use a something called the tree of losers where you merge all four runs into one run at the same time. I ended up going with the two-way cascaded merge sort. I have some regrets. I want to go with the K-way merge sort, but uh, I'll explain later. So sure, yeah, yeah. we go with a, a parallel two-way merge sort, and this can be tricky to parallelize, right? Because one thread can merge two runs. Uh, but what if you're t- down to your last two runs? And you have, let's say, 48 threads. You would think that only one thread can merge those two runs, but you can actually pre-compute uh, partitions of um, th- that can be merged independently and, and therefore in parallel. So with binary search, you do you do a binary search through the two runs that you're going to merge, and you you find a point where you're sure that um, the next comparison would. Uh, would 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 either copy the would would copy the right uh, run and then the left run. So that's kind of like an intersection. Okay. Uh, yeah. So th- this is a paper called Merge Path uh, that explains this, and uh, you you kind of compute some intersections between the sorted runs with with efficiently with binary search, and then you can merge parts of the run in uh, parallel. And that, uh, like, of course, greatly speeds up the process. There's some work you have to do, but in return you get parallelism. So that's uh, worth the effort. 
Um, yeah, so you keep merging until you have only one run left, and then you are done. You scan the data from rows to columns again. So let's dig into the, the keyword, and when you wish you'd done that one instead, why, why was that? I mean, that just because it's more fun to implement or more interesting, or was it actually like a, a performance-based reason as to why? Yeah, so I've I've learned now that um, so the the sort in DuckDB is 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 very fast, but if you select a lot of columns, so let's say you select a very wide table, you have ten columns, you're only sorting by one column, then with this two-way merge sort, so the way I implemented it is, what you can do is you can sort the the columns in the order by clause and then collect all the data um, in the the uh, the other selected columns after you're done sorting, right? And that would be the most efficient way because then the payload, like these other selected columns, just sit there; they don't move through memory all the time. Um, however, if you want to sort more data than fits in memory, then you cannot do this anymore. Because let's say uh, your data is two times the size of memory and all these columns that you you uh, selected but are not sorting by are just sitting there, but they have to go to disk. And then you sort by the key columns, so the columns in the order by clause, um, and then you have to collect all the rows in the right order, but they're on disk and in memory. And then at some... So if, if your data size is big enough, your random access to memory becomes random access to disk. And at that point, you're screwed because uh, <laughs> the performance just plummets. So what I ended up doing is that you don't collect it at the end. So you don't collect the payload uh, data at the end. You just keep merging it through. So okay. then you have sequential access and you don't have um, random access to disk. But I chose to do the two-way merge because I knew how to parallelize it. Okay. And we needed a parallel sort because, as I said, you cannot have some single-threaded thing in your parallel system. So I, I regret this now because I know that copying the payload throughout the merge sort is, is very expensive. So if you have a lot of other selected columns, then this becomes uh, actually a performance bottleneck. Oh, okay. And for this K-Way merge, I... Uh, I think I figured out how to parallelize it. Uh, I didn't know how to parallelize it because there was no related work on this. Oh, okay. So there's a, there's a follow-up paper there, I'm sure, when you... Uh... Yeah, possibly. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I haven't touched sorting in a while, but um, I think I figured out how to generalize this idea of merge path to a K-way merge. Uh, I, I haven't found any work on this, but I think I know how to do it. Nice. Um, it's It's... Yeah, I think if you if you look at the two, uh, you can anyone can connect the dots. It'll take it'll take you a while, but I've thought about this a lot. Uh, <laughs> Waking so up think, in the middle of the night thinking, "I've got it, I've got it." Uh, yeah, 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 this this uh, <laughs> this happens to me every now and then. So I think <laughs> I think I know how to do that, but I'm now onto like joins and aggregations. Okay, uh, so it'll be a while before I touch sorting again. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. So you see the drop. I mean, this is a question more on like how. Or what's the tipping point between me selecting too many columns and it becoming a performance bottleneck? And versus how often do you see people doing that? Because, I mean, I guess a lot of the work in DuckDB is driven by kind of the what, what users want, right? So I guess it's like how high up the priority list would it be to sort of cater for these selecting large number of columns? So it's actually for the use case of DuckDB, it's, it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, it's yeah. just something I I want to do because some users uh, run into problems here. So okay. we we can sort more data than fits in memory, but usually the DuckDB users uh, tend to have 
data that fits in memory. But right. uh, one of our goals is to uh, be have DuckDB be like some kind of mini Spark cluster, right? Like your 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 MacBook with incredibly fast SSD can uh, utilize disk really well during during the query execution, and um, you'll be able to to skip Spark because we don't like Spark, <laughs> and um, you, you'll be able to use DuckDB instead to to do larger than memory processing, and um, for sorting, so sorting shows up in um, window functions mostly, right? And maybe some inequality joins, but uh, most people see them in window functions. And we don't really get many requests or like issues for people who have window functions that don't fit memory. Right. Um, and the, the the rows tend not to be that wide. But every now and then there's someone who says, hey, I... so." people just benchmarking DuckDB and whatever, using the, it for whatever it wasn't intended for, but people <laughs> generating TPCH skill factor 100 and then trying to sort line item. Right, okay. And then they say, hey, this is very slow or this doesn't work. And I think I can make that very fast, <laughs> but I need some time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to that. Cool. That, that, that's going to be, I'm sure that'll be interesting when you get around to it for sure. Um, so I just kind of briefly want to touch on implementation a little bit, and obviously you're very sort of like well versed with how like DuckDB is is sort of architected and built. So I guess the implementation, if if you, how, I guess what I want to ask is, how much of an undertaking was it to add this this new sort operator in? So, so I did this when uh, I wasn't well versed. Oh, okay, in, right. In so this is your first sort of like. This the, yeah, yeah. yeah, this was yeah. the first physical operator that I touched in DuckDB. So I'd, I'd done some scalar functions and I implemented macros in DuckDB. Right, okay. So then you can like create a, a, a SQL expression as, as a function. And this is, uh, so I touched a little bit of physical execution, but not, not an actual operator. And the sort operator was one of the last operators that had a very basic uh, implementation. So the, the join and aggregate were really optimized and well refined but the sort was something mark wrote in two hours it's just something so 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 it worked but it wasn't so it was fast you need more time to write something fast so this was for me a huge undertaking because i had to learn the the parallelism the model of the the, so the morsel driven parallelism a lot of that is abstracted away behind a nice api but uh, i had to to learn a lot of things about parallelism and locks and atomics that i didn't really know. And I also had to learn uh, how to use the buffer manager well, because uh, I also had not uh, had to touch this uh, w- with my previous endeavors in, in DuckTV. So for me, this was a huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, it took many, many months to, to implement this. I think if I would do it again, then I could make it faster in less time, right? But yeah, I, yeah. I'm now... I'm now like years, like a year and a half. Uh, it's a year and a half after the the, the sort went into DuckDB. So I've I, I've learned a lot, and I I could do it better now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you need to have that initial sort of. You need to go pay that initial sort of pain, right? To again get to the point where you are now, where you could do it do it easier, right? So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm actually really grateful that Mark and Hannes let me as like a starting PhD student just do this, right? I could yeah. just uh, implement sorting in their system and they just trusted me that it would be good. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually very grateful that I got that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. So I guess 
let's talk about so you've obviously you've implemented you've implemented this inductdb as we've been saying and you've benchmarked it so can you maybe tell us a little bit about the benchmarking how you went about that and then let's hear some numbers how fast does it go now versus the 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 initial quick implementation that mark did right so um I did some benchmarking on TPCDS tables and uh, also like just random integers because I just wanted to see the raw sorting performance and then see their relational sorting performance with like multi-key sorting. And um, I didn't benchmark against the old DuckDB implementation, but this old implementation, I don't think you want to benchmark against it because um, it was fine for like sorting 10,000 rows or like maybe 100,000 rows. But as soon as you get to some millions, then uh, yeah, you don't you don't know how far the progress is, but it looks like it's stuck. So it, I think it I think it would take like ten minutes to sort, or like five minutes to sort a hundred million integers, uh, which uh, we can now do in uh, I think it's one point seven seconds. So oh wow, uh, it, it was it was terrible, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> cool. Um... Great stuff. So I, yeah, I, I kind of um, I often sort of try and ask ask kind of uh, about when I'm interviewing people about the work, but like kind of what are the sort of like the limitations to, to the approach, or like under what scenarios is the performance of whatever it is suboptimal? Um, so I guess kind of putting that question to you, are there any sort of limitations other than the fact that you maybe you would in hindsight go away and do Kway? What was the name of it? Sorry. It's a Kway merge. Sorry, Kway merge. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Um, I just I just wrote down in my notes like tree losers and that's the word I've got that up. It's definitely not called that, right? But it's an interesting like. But anyway, ignore me. <laughs> no, no, it is. It is. Um, let me see. So tree of losers is something. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a tournament tree. So okay. Um, it's it's actually the name. So it, so there's a something called a tournament tree. I think um, like many things in computer science, Donald Knuth invented this. Right. And. Yeah. Um, it is uh, a way to minimize comparisons when doing this uh, K-way merging. Right. So it's it's a tournament tree where each um, each each of the sorted runs goes into one one of the, the the entry points of the tournament tree, and you can have a tree of winners or a tree of losers. And with sorting, we generally think about sorting as doing the lowest value first sure. so yeah. um that's why it's called the tree of losers because it okay. loses the comparison uh, oh, throughout see. the tournament tree and um so th- this minimizes the comparisons and i i would uh so yeah that also brings me to the limitation and i think i already talked about it but the limitation is really the the two-way merge sort requires you to copy over the data if you want to have an external like larger than memory kind of sort mm-hmm. it requires you to copy over the data many many times for the for the k-way you don't because you're merging all runs into one you end up only copying it once great so i guess there's obviously in an ideal world you will you would implement this at some point but it's not it's not on your on your kind of immediate rendering so you're working on aggregations and joins so i guess kind of what is that's probably what's next on your research agenda but like how is that work going and where do you go kind of next uh, right. So as I said, one of the goals for DuckDB is to be able to ha- handle larger than memory data 
gracefully. So mm-hmm. it's actually for OTP systems uh, because they have been researched for over 50 years now. This is a solved problem they can do out of core or like larger than memory joins and aggregations. But they tend to um, have like these small 4 or 8K uh, buffer size and they tend to be very conservative in their memory usage. While OLAP systems uh, don't handle larger than, generally don't handle larger than memory um, joins and aggregations or sorting. And they tend to use up all the memory you have to make the query as fast as they can. And um, we think that there's a, a middle ground where we can have fast in-memory performance. And let's say your data size exceeds the memory size by 50% or, or, or 20% or 80%, then your performance shouldn't drop off a cliff. Uh, so a lot of systems tend to either, yeah, they, the performance drops off a cliff because they go into this OLTP style, slow kind of uh, larger than memory algorithm. Or they just say, ah, "I'm sorry, mate, I can't. I can't finish this query. It doesn't. It doesn't fit." So, um, so that's that's actually my PhD topic is um, to write uh, like good good join and aggregation algorithms for for OLAP uh, for for larger than memory OLAP uh, processing. So I've been working on the uh, aggregate and join. So we have a, a very good aggregate and join uh, implementation, but. The data was required to fit in memory, uh, otherwise we threw an error. And I've been working on this um, materialization format. So for joints and aggregation, we also materialize the data as rows instead of columnar format. This is something that, uh, this is a paper by Marcin and Peter, they found out that this gave also better cache locality for joints and aggregations. And uh, we, I, I've been working hard on a materialization format for rows where the rows have a fixed size uh, so even for strings, so that means that there's a pointer uh, to, to the actual string in the rows. Uh, but this format can go to disk. Okay. So if data goes to disk, your pointers will be invalidated. So we have uh, ways to recompute them on the fly um, so that this, this data can go from disk uh, to memory and, and, and you can it, the data stays valid. And this kind of unlocks a lot of out-of-core potential. So let's say... For joins, generally, you need the entire build side. So the hash table on the build side, you need it in memory because you need to make sure that the other side, when you're matching, that it, it, it's matched against everything in the build side. But you can partition the build side, let's say, on the hash. So we use radix partitioning, and then um, that release, relieves some memory pressure. So you, you pin a few partitions in memory, and then you probe against that um, during the, the probe of the hash join. Um, and we use the exact same row format for the aggregate as well. I haven't touched the aggregate too much. I've just implemented the row format in there. Uh, but for the join, we are already um, fully, we fully support larger than memory. Um, and so next steps for me are tweaking that until the performance is uh, satisfactory, let's say. Hmm. And um, same for the aggregate. And I, I spoke to Thomas Neumann at um, ICDE and uh he described an excellent optimization for hash tables that uh, I'm also going to try to implement. Oh, fantastic. Uh, um, this, this, the next question I, I, I often ask is, is kind of how can a software developer and engineer sort of leverage the findings in your research? But I mean, and kind of like what impact do you think it can have? But I mean, with it being in DuckDB, I guess it's having real world impact now. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to rephrase it a little bit and, and say like, 
what impact have you had so far? And have you had any feedback on kind of the the performance of the new sorting operators and and how was what's that looked like? Are you just saying this is amazing, fantastic, changed my life? Or, um, so yeah. we've had some positive feedback from. Yeah. Uh, so this has been inducted for a while now, but we've had some positive feedback from people um, who were happy that they could now sort large data sets because uh, this was uh, really like prohibitively expensive before. Um, but of course, it's also led to um, people, as I said, generating TPCH skill factor 100 and then sorting line item and then wondering why it's so slow. Well, uh, so th- these issues are then uh, for me because I implement uh, I implemented the sorting. So there's been some positive feedback, but of course, also some negative feedback. But the, the negative feedback has been quite minimal because in general, people don't sort uh, as like many, many gigabytes of, of data. So uh, it has been good. But in general, with with operators in, in database systems, people expect them to be good. So you generally don't hear much. Uh, okay. So, yeah. of course, we get the most feedback from, from GitHub. You don't hear much. Uh, you, you only hear about, hey, my join is slow. Hey, my animation <laughs> is slow, right? So I, I've received much more positive feedback from someone like, I implemented the JSON extension for DuckDB, right. and we, we can now uh, directly read JSON files as if as if it's a table, right? You, so you can do select star from, and then your JSON file. Right. Okay. And, cool. And we have uh, rich support for nested types, so list and struct, and these map well to the JSON um, uh, arrays and objects. When I implemented that, the, the positive feedback was uh, much more than I ever had for the sorting because. <laughs> People are like, wow, this is some shiny new functionality. And uh, whereas for sorting or joins, they're like, yeah, this should work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild, isn't it, really? Yeah. So, I mean, it must be really nice to sort of to get some feedback kind of at all, I guess, on, on, on your issues. I mean, kind of, I guess, it, the average sort of PhD student, I don't know, I'm probably speaking from my, my personal experience here more, maybe, but like you write a paper and no one ever really looks at it ever again. So to have your work go straight into a system that, like thousands of millions of people are using, then it must be it must be a really nice, rewarding experience, um, for sure. A- absolutely, yeah. That yeah. that's very motivating, actually. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just just to think about, hey, I want to get this stuff in before the next release. Uh, that's a huge motivator for me. Yeah. Cool. I mean, while you've been while you've been working on 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 sorting, um, from that sort of journey initially starting on the project, were there any sort of things that were kind of interesting or unexpected that you learned while while working on them on sorting yeah so um i initially so so this lesson um i learned while sorting is i i initially thought i would be able to take the best sorting algorithm that i could find and just apply it to my data because mm. uh, i thought sorting also uh, i thought of sorting kind of as a solved problem right mm. um and the more I tried to find papers on relational sorting, I was very surprised that it wasn't. So I, I tried this a few times with, with different sorting algorithms. I found that we were so so just using the STD sort API, but then with something like block quick sort or PDQ sort, I found we were a lot slower than MonoDB. And uh, of course, we want to be faster than uh, MonoDB. So uh, I was quite surprised with this. And then I, I, I really learned that I, you have to implement the sort yourself for your data structure for like, it's, it's not a compiled thing or an interpreted mm. engine. So you have to really, and that, that was very surprising uh, to me. 
and then uh, all the way in the end, like I said, this this um, cost of mem copying the the rows around through the two way cascaded merge thread. That was also something that I found very interesting because that's purely sequential access, right? During the merge thread, you're purely doing sequential access, uh, copying the rows around. And I thought that would be would not be very expensive, but it ended up for if you have a very wide table ended up being much more expensive than I thought. And uh, at some point I will implement this K1 um, <laughs> to get rid of... like, like vendetta now, like, like a mission. I've got to do this at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, the next question I, I often ask people, I guess we've maybe touched on a little bit and kind of things that you try along the way, like you mentioned second though, that you can't just take something off the shelf and, and, and apply it and it, and it work. But are there any any other sort of like I guess um, like war stories from working on this that things that were um, like tried and failed? So stuff that tried and failed. So um, I actually so I first implemented just sorting and memory sorting, and then I made it go um, larger than memory, um, and I had my own row format just for the sort. And the rows weren't fixed size, so they, they were variable size, so the strings were just in there. And uh, kind of at the same time, uh, Richard, one of our um, remote uh, uh, contributors, he started unifying the other code where we had rows that are fixed size, right? So he wanted to unify every place in DuckTP that, that we were using rows because we were using these solutions that are just in every operator instead of having like this unified framework of going to rows. Mm. And... Um, I ended up like scrapping my row stuff and then using his row stuff. And then there were pointers in there. So I had to figure out how to deal with that. And uh, my approach was pointer swizzling. So instead of the pointer, you can overwrite it with an offset before it goes to disk. And then you can recompute the pointer when it loads back into memory. And uh, that's what we have in most operators now. But that is very tricky to get right because you have to keep track of, is this a pointer or is this an offset? You right, need to okay. have some serious bookkeeping everywhere. And then at some point, Mark implemented this column column format or like column materialization format. And this also had the problem that there were pointers in there. And then I figured, hey, you don't actually have to go from pointer to offset. <clears throat> you can just load the data back and then compare the pointers. Is the new pointer still the same as the old pointer that was stored there? Okay. If it's not the same... You can recompute it on the fly without ever going to this offset. And uh, having learned that from the, the column, like materializing data in a columnar format, I immediately applied this to this new row materialization format that um, that I've just implemented. And uh, this is really nice because if the data doesn't ever go to disk, then you've never touched this pointer and made it an offset. You just compare one pointer and see, oh, the pointer is still valid. We can scan this. And, and that that's yeah. like a, that was a huge lesson. So that that took actually, let's say, two years to realize that this is the way Brilliant. to go. Two um, years. Yeah, we had many. I had many iterations uh, of this, and we've now realized this is the way to go for us. So, well, it's been worth it in the end. Then it's been a long journey, but it's, it's paid <laughs> off. <laughs> a- absolutely, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I've just got a couple, couple more, couple more questions now. But obviously, all of you, your work kind of goes into into DuckDB. DuckDB. But other than sort of the, the 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 joins and the aggregations, are there any other sort of things you're working on, or like your other research that the listener might be interested in, in hearing about? Uh, yeah. So 
the the joins and aggregates, the out of course stuff is is my main research, but um, I, I don't really have a, a time for side projects. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can in, imagine. In, in research, but I do have side projects in DuckDB, um, right? So the JSON uh, JSON extension was a huge side project uh, for me, and um, I had a lot of fun doing that. So um, if anyone has like a, a lot of new line delimited JSON lying around and they want to shred through it quickly, or they just want to try it out, please check the JSON extension. We have a blog on it, and um, uh, I want to give a shout out to the author of the the open source JSON library that we use. So we use the YYJSON uh, library, and um, it's written in uh, C eighty nine, so it's oh, wow. very part very portable, but it's also incredibly fast. And uh, we of course want to have uh, portable uh, software um, as DuckDB. So um, this this author is really awesome because I, I I requested a change. Because uh, I really needed this for the DuckDB implementation, that's it had to do something with uh, allocations, and um, he said, "Well, I could, but that's a breaking change." Okay. And then one one day later, he said, "Okay, let's make the breaking change." And <laughs> he changed the API for us. Um, it was <laughs> it was really useful uh, and made our more our, our JSON allocations much more uh, elegant. Oh, amazing! So, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so you said that you don't really have like um, much time for for kind of side quests other than sort of things within within DuckDB but how, how do you go about like deciding those things like working on the JSON um, extension for example how do you actually approach saying okay this is a cool idea to work on and then just saying okay yeah I'm actually going to dedicate some time to this yeah so I think I started on the JSON extension about a year and a half ago and I did it just because because I thought it was fun. So I saw this YYJSON library and I was like, yeah, this is perfect. Let me try to write some JSON functions in DuckDB. Uh, and I basically copied what other systems have, right? Because people expect uh, a system to have those functions. And I had some basic functionality and then I didn't touch the extension for, let's say, a year. Um, and so th- that really was something that that I was interested in. But then, of course, since... Uh, then the company was founded, and uh, of course, then money starts dictating uh, what <laughs> what you work on. So uh, yeah. one of our um, clients actually requested this, and uh, I went into JSON again and made us be able to read. Um, it, but but our clients, so it's not like they they pay us to to implement this functionality. It's also for our clients. We have clients that have a common goal. Right. Right. We want to make DuckDB better, but they want to use DuckDB for a specific uh, use case. So um, we collaborate, and then we try to make the best JSON processing uh, that we can. And then we're really happy with it because it ends up in the open source project and everyone can use it. And then they're happy with it because they wanted this feature specifically. Ah, okay, cool. So it's like kind of like a, they almost like sponsor the, the work in a way, I guess, then. I don't know if that's the right way to thinking about it, but like they... Yeah. Okay, no, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, it's kind of kind of yeah. Uh, sponsorship, yeah, because it's open source, right? We don't make uh, tailor made stuff for them. It's uh, it all goes into the open source project. Fascinating, fantastic stuff, yeah. And long may that continue. Um, cool. So yeah, just two more questions now. So the penultimate one is um, just kind of a big picture sort of question. So it's, what do you think is the biggest challenge in data management research today? Yeah, I think this is a very very tricky, uh, like very tricky question. So, I'm very absorbed in my own research, 
Um, but what I saw at ICDE is, I think one of the challenges is this this scale up versus scale out um, question. And um, the 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 CEO or not the CEO the the one of the lead engineer at Google BigQuery, who's now uh, the CEO of MotherDuck, um, is Jordan Tigani, and he saw that about ninety percent of the queries in BigQuery um, accessed about 100 megabytes of data. And um, of course, we need these large distributed systems because sometimes we have analytics that are much larger than a single system can handle. But I feel like in um, data management research, there has been so much focus on this uh, distributed system uh, that there has not been enough attention for the single node. Um, and uh, I, I feel like some of the researchers don't realize that we really need this single node because 90% of the queries don't need the distributed system and we shouldn't be using the distributed system because it costs more money. It, it uses a lot of energy. Um, of, it's often slower because they assume that the query will be a large distributed query and then it ends up being a small one, right? So. Mm. Uh, of course, I also say this because we have a nice single node system. But uh, uh, for me, that seems like something that's quite important right now. Um, awesome. Yeah. So um, I guess last last question now, last word. What's the one thing you want the listener to take away from this podcast episode today? Uh, the one thing. Okay. Mm. You can have two things. You can have as many things as you want. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I think the one thing. So for me, this, this journey of uh, researching sorting is – don't ever make the mistake of thinking that something is a solved problem. Okay. And and uh, in the end, the solution for me wasn't very difficult. It was use rows, use this technique from system R, right? But this combination of techniques that were already there, but that had not been researched well, like, for example, join algorithms, which have been researched a lot, uh, this combination of techniques that may not seem very novel ended up being uh, very effective and something that had a, was not researched before. So if there's any researchers thinking that, hey, I can't research sorting, it's been beaten to death, let's <laughs> say. Um, probably not. There's there's still some stuff to do um, f- for you. You can still research that. Fantastic. That's a great message to end it on. So let's, let's finish things there. Thank you so much, Lawrence, for coming on. If the listeners are interested in knowing more about Lawrence's work, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. And if you enjoy listening to the uh, to the podcast, please consider supporting the show through buying me a coffee. And we will see you all next time for some more awesome computer science research.